0: Section Thirteen of the Broad Highway by Jeffrey Farnell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by John Leader Book One, Chapter Thirty-Two, in which this first book begins to draw to a close. Strike, ding, ding, strike, ding, ding. The iron glows and loveth good blows as fire doth bellows. Strike, ding, ding. Out beyond the smithy door a solitary star twinkles low down in the night sky like some great jewel. But we have no time for star-gazing, Black George and I, for to-night we are at work on the old church screen, which must be finished to-morrow." and so the bellows roar hoarsely the hammers clang and the sparks fly while the sooty face of black george now in shadow now illumined by the fire seems like the face of some fire-god or salamander in the corner perched securely out of reach of stray sparks sits the ancient snuff-box in hand as usual to my mind a forge is at its best by night for in the red fiery glow The blackened walls, the shining anvil, and the smith himself, bare-armed and bare of chest, are all magically transfigured, while, in the hush of night, the drone of the bellows sounds more impressive, the stroke of the hammers more sonorous and musical, and the flying sparks mark plainly their individual courses ere they vanish. I stand, feet well apart, and swing the great sledge to whose diapason George's hand-hammer beats a tinkling melody, coming in after each stroke with a ring and clash exact and true, as is, and has been, the way of masters of the smithing craft all the world over from time immemorial. "'George,' said I, during a momentary lull, leaning my hands upon the long hammer-shaft, "'you don't sing.' no peter and why not i think peter but surely you can both think and sing george not always peter what's your trouble george oh, no trouble peter said he above the roar of the bellows well, then sing george hey george sing nodded the ancient tis a poor art tis never a gices and that's in the scripters so sing george "'George did not answer, but with a turn of his mighty wrist "'drew the glowing iron from the fire. "'And once more the sparks fly, the air is full of the clink of hammers, "'and the deep-throated song of the anvil, in which even the ancient joins, "'in a voice somewhat quavery, and generally a note or two behind, "'but with great gusto and good will notwithstanding. "'Strike-ding-ding! Strike-ding-ding!' in the middle of which I was aware of one entering to us, and presently, turning round, espied Prudence with a great basket on her arm. Hereupon hammers were thrown aside, and we straightened our backs, for in that basket was our supper. Very fair and sweet Prudence looked, lithe and vigorous, and straight as a young poplar, with her shining black hair curling into little tight rings about her ears, and with great shy eyes and red, red mouth. "'Surely a man might seek very far "'Ere he found such another maid "'As this brown-cheeked, black-eyed village beauty.' "'Good evening, Mr. Peter,' said she, "'dropping me a courtesy with a grace "'that could not have been surpassed "'by any duchess in the land. "'But as for poor George, "'She did not even notice him. "'Neither did he raise his curly head "'Nor glance toward her. "'You come just when you are most needed, Prudence,' said I, "'relieving her of the heavy basket.' For here be two hungry men. Three, broke in the ancient. So hungry as a lion I be. Three hungry men, Prudence, who have been hearkening for your step this half hour and more, quoth Prudence shyly. For the sake of my basket, ay, for sure, croaked the ancient. So ravenous as a tiger I be. No, said I, shaking my head. Basket or no basket, you are equally welcome, Prudence. How say you, George? but George only mumbled in his beard. The Ancient and I now set to work putting up an extemporized table, but as for George, he stood staring down moodily into the yet glowing embers of the forge. Having put up the table, I crossed to where Prudence was busy unpacking her basket. "'Prudence,' said I, "'are you still at odds with George?' Prudence nodded. "'But,' said I, "'he is such a splendid fellow.' His outburst the other day was quite natural, under the circumstances. Surely you can forgive him, Prudence?' "'There be more nor that betwixt us, Mr. Peter,' sighed Prue. "'Tis his drinkin Six months ago he promised me never to touch another drop, and he broke his word with me.' "'But surely good ale in moderation will harm no man, nay, on the contrary—' "'But be not like other men, Mr. Peter?' "'No?' He is much bigger and stronger, said I, and I never saw a handsomer fellow. Yes, nodded the girl, so strong as a giant, and so weak as a little child. Indeed, Prudence, said I, leaning nearer to her in my earnestness, I think you are a little unjust to him. So far as I know him, George is anything but weak-minded, or liable to be led into anything. Hearing the ancient chuckle gleefully, I glanced up to find him nodding and winking to Black George, who stood with folded arms and bent head, watching us from beneath his brows, and as his eyes met mine, I thought they gleamed strangely in the firelight. "'Come, Prue," said the ancient, bustling forward, "'tables ready. Let's sit down and eat. Fainting and famishin' away, I be.' So we presently sat down, all three of us, while Prudence carved and supplied our wants, as only Prudence could. And after a while, our hunger being appeased, I took out my pipe, as did the ancient and George theirs likewise, and together we filled them, slowly and carefully, as pipes should be filled, while Prudence folded a long paper spill wherewith to light them, the which she proceeded to do, beginning at her father's churchwarden, Now, while she was lighting mine, Black George suddenly rose, and, crossing to the forge, took thence a glowing coal with the tongs, thus doing the office for himself. All at once I saw Prue's hand was trembling, and the spill was dropped, or ever my tobacco was well alight. Then she turned swiftly away, and began replacing the plates and knives and forks in her basket. "'Be you a goin Prue?' inquired the ancient, mumblingly, for his pipe was in full blast. Yes, grandfur. Then chair Simon is i'll be along in half an hour or so, will ye, lass?' Yes, grandfur. Always with her back to us. Then kiss ye old grandfather is loves ye, and means for to see ye well bestowed and wed one of these fine days. Prudence stooped, and pressed her flesh, red lips to his wrinkled old cheek, and catching up her basket, turned to the door yet not so quickly, but that I had caught the gleam of tears beneath her lashes. Black George half rose from his seat, and stretched out his hand towards her burden, then sat down again as, with a hasty— "'Good-night!' she vanished through the yawning doorway. And sitting there we listened to her quick light footstep cross the road to the bull. "'She'll make some man a fine wife some day!' exclaimed the ancient, blowing out a cloud of smoke. Eh, hey, she'll make some man as fine a wife as ever was some day.' "'You speak my very thought, ancient,' said I. "'She will indeed.' "'What do you think, George?' But George's answer was to choke suddenly, and thereafter to fall a-coughing. "'Smoke go to wrong way, George?' inquired the ancient, fixing him with his bright eye. "'Eh,' hey, nodded George. "Ha," said the old man, and we smoked for a time in silence. "'So handsome as a pictor she be,' said the ancient suddenly. "'She is fairer than any picture," said I impulsively, "'and what is better still her nature is as sweet and beautiful as her face.' "'How do you know that?' said George, turning sharply upon me. "'My eyes and ears tell me so, as you are surely must have done long ago,' I answered. "Ye do think as she be a putty lass then, Peter?' inquired the ancient. "'I think,' said I, "'that she is the prettiest lass I ever saw. "'Don't you think so, George?' "'But again George's only answer was to choke. Uh, "'Smoke again, George?' inquired the Ancient. "Eh," said George, as before. "'Tis a fine thing to be young,' said the Ancient, after a somewhat lengthy pause, and with a wave of his long pipe-stem. "'A very fine thing.' "'It is,' said I, though we generally realise it all too late. As for George, he went on smoking. "'When you're young,' pursued the ancient, "'you eats well and enjoys it, Yer sleeps well and enjoys it, "'your legs is strong, your arms is strong, "'and you be'n't o' in nothing nor nobody. "'Oh, life's a very fine thing when you're young, "'but youth's terrible quick a-goin.' The years roll slow at first, but gets quicker and quicker till, till one day you wakes to find you am an old man, and when you am old the way gets very hard and toilsome and lonely. But there is always memory, said I. You am right there, Peter. So there be, so there be. Why, I be a old, old man, with more years than airs on my ead, "'and yet it seems but yesterday as I were holding on to my mother's skirt "'and wonderin how the moon got lighted. "'Life be very short, Peter, and while we have it, "'tis well to get all the happiness out of it we can.' "'The wisest men of all ages preach the same,' said I, "'only they all disagreed as to how happiness was to be gained.' "'More fools they,' said the ancient. "'Eh?' I exclaimed, sitting up more fools they repeated the old man with a solemn nod why then do you know how true happiness may be found to be sure i do peter how by marriage peter an odd work and they all goes together marriage said i marriage as ever was peter there i don't agree with you said i that retorted the ancient stabbing at me with his pipe-stem that's because you never was married, Peter. Marriage, said I. Marriage brings care and great responsibility, and trouble for oneself means trouble for others. What o that? Exclaimed the ancient tis care and responsibility, is Mac the man, and if you marry a good wife, she'll share the burden with ye, you, and ye'll find what seemed your troubles is a blessing after all. When sorrow comes, it is a sweet thing, oh, a very sweet thing, to have a woman to comfort ye, and hold your hand in the dark hour. And there's no sympathy so tenor as a woman's, Peter. Then, when ye be old like me and full o' years, it is a fine thing to have a son o' your own like Simon, and a granddaughter like my Prue. "'Tis worth havin' lived for, Peter. Eh, hey, well worth it. "'It's a man's duty to marry, Peter. "'Is duty to self in the world. "'Don't the Bible say some about it not bein' good for a man to live alone? "'Every man as is a man should marry. "'The sooner the better.' "'But,' said I, "'to every happy marriage there are scores of miserable ones.' "'Cause why, Peter?' "'Cause people is in too much a hurry to marry, as a rule. "'If a man marries a lass out a knowing her a week, "'how is he going to know if she'll suit him all his days? You Nohow, how, Peter, it are not natural. "'Woman takes a lot o' no knowing. "'Man in haste and repent in leisure. "'That aren't in the Bible, but it ought to be.' "'And your own marriage was a truly happy one, ancient?' "'Ah, that it were, Peter.' Happy as ever was, but then you see, there was a providence in it. I were a fine young chap in them days, summat of your figure only bigger, ah, a sight bigger, and I were sweet on several lassies, and won't say as they weren't sweet on me. The three of em especially so. One was a tall, bouncing wench with blue eyes and golden hair, like sunshine it were. But it weren't meant as I should buckle up with her. Why not? Because it so happened she married someone else. <laughs> and the second? The second were a fine, pretty maid, too. But I couldn't marry she. Why? Because, Peter, she she went and took and died, afore I could axe her. And the third you married? No, Peter. Though it come to the same thing in the end. <laughs> she married I. You see... "'Though I were always at her back and call, "'I could never pluck the courage to up an axe her right out. "'So things went on for a year or so, maybe, "'till one day she were making apple dumplings, Peter.' "'Martin,' says she, looking at me sideways out of her black eyes, "'just like Prue's they were. "'Martin,' she says, "'you am uncommon fond o' apple dumplings?' "'For sure,' says I, which I were, Peter.' Martin, says she, shouldn't he like to eat em whenever you wanted to, at your very own table, in a cottage o your own? Ah, if you'd make em, says I, sharp like, I would, if you'd ax me, Martin, says she. And so we was married, Peter, and as you see, there was a providence in it, for if the first one hadn't married someone else, and the second hadn't died... I might have married one of they, and repented it all my days. For I were young then, and foolish. Peter, foolish!' So saying, the ancient rose, sighing, and knocked the ashes from his pipe. "'Talkin' about Prue,' said he, taking up his hat and removing his snuff-box therefrom, ere he set it upon his head. "'Talkin' about Prue,' he repeated with a pinch of snuff at his nostrils. "'Well?' the words seemed shot out of George involuntarily. "'It talkin' about Proul,' said the ancient again, glancing at each of us in turn. "'There were some folks as used to think she were sweet on charge there, but I, uh, being her lawful grandfather, no different, didn't I, charge?" "'Hey,' nodded the smith, hey, "'Many's the time I've said to you a sittin' in this very corner. "'Charge,' I've said, Mark my words, charge if ever my Prue does marry someone, which she will, that their summon won't be you. Them be my very words, be it they charge, your very words, Gaffer. Nodded George. Well then, continued the old man, here's what I was a comin' to. Prue's been and fell in love with someone at last. Black George's pipe shivered to fragments on the floor, and as he leaned forward I saw that his great hands were tightly clenched. "'Gaffer,' said he in a strangled voice, "'what do ye mean?' "'I means what I says, charge. How do we know?' Be not I the lass's grandfather? "'Be sure, gaffer, quite sure?' "'Eh, sartan sure. Twice this week, and once the week afore, She forgot to put any salt in the soup. And that speaks Wallem's charge, Wallem's Here, having replaced his snuff-box, the ancient put on his hat, nodded, and hobbled away. As for Black George, he sat there, staring blindly before him long after the tapping of the ancient stick had died away. Nor did he heed me when I spoke. Wherefore, I laid my hand upon his shoulder. "'Come, George,' said I. "'Another hour and the screen will be finished.' "'He started, and, drawing from my hand, "'looked up at me very strangely. "'No, Peter,' he mumbled, "'I aren't a-goin' to work no more to-night.' "'And as he spoke he rose to his feet. "'What? Are, are you going?' said I as he crossed to the door. "'Eh, hey, I'm a-goin.' "'Now, as he went towards his cottage, I saw him reel, And stagger like a drunken man. Chapter thirty three, in which we draw yet nearer to the end of this first book. It is not my intention to chronicle all those minor happenings that befell me now or afterward, lest this history prove wearisome to the reader, on the which head I begin to entertain grave doubts already. Suffice it then that as the days grew into weeks, and the weeks into months, by perseverance I became reasonably expert at my trade, so that, some two months after my meeting with Black George, I could shoe a horse with any smith in the country. But more than this, the people with whom I associated day by day, honest, loyal, and simple-hearted as they were, contented with their lot, and receiving all things so unquestioningly and thankfully, filled my life and brought a great calm to a mind that had— hitherto been somewhat self-centered and troubled by pessimistic doubts and fantastic dreams culled from musty pages what book is there to compare with the great book of life whose pages are forever a-turning wherein are marvels and wonders undreamed things to weep over and some few to laugh at if one but has eyes in one's head to see withal To walk through the whispering cornfields or the long green alleys of the hop gardens with Simon, who combines in keeping with farming, to hear him tell of fruit and flower, of bird and beast, is better than to read the Georgics of Virgil. To sit in the sunshine and watch the ancient pipe in mouth, to hearken to his animated versions upon life and death and humanity, is better than the cynical wit of Rochefort or a page out of honest old Montaigne. TO SEE THE PROUD POISE OF sweet Prue's AVERTED HEAD, AND THE TENDER LOOK IN HER EYES WHEN GEORGE IS NEAR, AND THE SURGE OF THE MIGHTY CHEST AND THE TREMBLE OF THE STRONG MAN'S HAND AT THE SOUND OF HER LIGHT FOOTFALL IS MORE ENTHRALLING THAN ANY WRITTEN ROMANCE, OLD OR NEW. IN REGARD TO THESE LATTER, I BEGAN AT THIS TIME TO CONTRIVE SCHEMES AND TO PLOT PLOTS FOR BRINGING THEM TOGETHER, TO BRIDGE OVER THE DIFFICULTY WHICH SEPARATED THEM, for, being happy, I would fain see them happy also. Now how I succeeded in this self-imposed task, the reader, if he troubled to read far enough, shall see for himself. "'George,' said I, on a certain Saturday morning, as I washed the grime from my face and hands, "'are you going to the fair this afternoon?' "'No, Peter, I aren't.' "'But prudence is going,' said I, drying myself vigorously upon the towel. "'And how?' inquired the smith, bending in turn above the bucket in which we performed our ablutions. "'And how might you know that, Peter?' "'Because she told me so.' "'Told you so, did she?' said George, and immediately plunged his head into the bucket. "'She did,' I answered. "'And supposin,' said George, coming up very red in the face, and with the water streaming from his sodden curls, Supposin' she is goin' to the fair, what's that to me? I don't care where she comes, no, nor where she goes, neither. And he shook the water from him as a dog might. Are you quite sure, George? Ah, sartin sure. I've been sure of it now ever since she called me. Oh, Pooh, nonsense, man. She didn't mean it. Women, especially young ones, often say things they do not mean. "'at least so I am given to understand.' "'Eh, but she did mean it,' said George, frowning and nodding his head. "'But it ain't that, Peter, no. It aren't that. "'It's the knowin' as she spoke truth when she called me coward, "'and despisin' me for it in her heart. "'That's where it is, Peter.' Oh, "'Nevertheless, I'm sure she never meant it, George.' "'Then let her come and tell me so.' "'I don't think she'll do that,' said I. "'No more do I, Peter,' saying which he fell to work with the towel, even as I had done. "'George,' said I, after a silence, "'well, Peter?' "'Has it ever struck you that Prudence is an uncommonly handsome girl?' "'To be sure it has, Peter. I were blind else.' "'And that other men may see this too?' "'Well, Peter?' "'And some one—' even tell her so his answer was a long time coming but come it did at last well peter and ask her to marry him george this time he was silent so long that i had tied my neckerchief and drawn on my coat ere he spoke very heavily and slowly and without looking at me why then peter let him. I've told ye afore, I don't care where she comes, nor where she goes, but she ben't nothin' to me no more, nor I to she. If so be some man as a mind to ax her for hisself, I'll open and above board, I say again let him. And now let's talk o' summat else. Willingly There's to be boxing and single stick and wrestling at the fair, I understand. Eh? "'And they tell me there is a famous wrestler coming all the way from Cornwall "'to wrestle the best man for ten guineas. eh? so there be. "'Well?' "'Well, Peter, they were talking about it at the bull last night.' "'The bull? To be sure. He was at the bull last night. "'Well?' "'They were saying that you were a mighty wrestler, George, "'that you were the only man in these parts who could stand up to this Cornishman.' "'Eh, hey, I can wrestle a bit, Peter,' he replied, speaking in the same heavy, listless manner. "'What, then?' "'Why, then, George, get your coat, and let's be off.' "'We're to "'The fair!' Black George shook his head. "'What, you won't?' "'No, Peter.' "'And why not?' "'Because I aren't got the mind to.' BECAUSE I AREN'T NEVER GOIN' TO WRESTLE NO MORE, PETER, SO THERE'S AN END ON IT. YET IN THE DOORWAY I PAUSED AND LOOKED BACK. GEORGE? PETER? WON'T YOU COME? FOR FRIENDSHIP'S SAKE. BLACK GEORGE PICKED UP HIS COAT, LOOKED AT IT, AND PUT IT DOWN AGAIN. NO, PETER end of section 13.